0: Hello, welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry.
1: This is episode 16
0: with Joseph B. Avenue and
1: Joseph Makos. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for Poetry.
2: Just picking up this uh, when we got into the next writer when we p- I picked up this uh, when I ordered this little jam over here the, uh, the outsider so, yeah. there's there some fabulous poems in there really are and and John Webb really really was just an amazing editor I mean he kept rejecting poems
3: yeah he wouldn't yeah, take a yeah. poem from
2: you know didn't I don't care who you were I mean it, like he kept he kept uh, he never would take anything from Ferlinghetti <laughs> he just didn't like him, you know. Well thought he was, you know, <laughs> thought it <he> was <laughs> So I guess you guys don't either, but but I mean uh all of the, all, the, all the beats of the ear and everything, he just didn't really uh he was very discerning about what he wanted what kind of
0: um, Well but you can feel that in the magazine. Like it's very which is one of the nice things about it, as much as it has a lot of things going on. There's a definite aesthetic to it in the in the content as yeah. well as the visuals.
2: Right? Well, it's, it's a hundred yeah. percent handmade. You know? I yeah. Mean, he's they're setting the type. He's cutting the paper. He's binding it by hand. Everything. He's he's got a hand press. He doesn't yeah. even have a mechanical press. Yeah, I I have the same Chandon press. press the, nine, the nine by twelve. Uh, suspect uh, suspect, uh, suspect could be it the, could be the outside. The
1: actual press. press. You it well, the reason is, is because uh, I, I had heard from Edwin that the huh? press, the, that the outsider press ended up at Tulane, huh. that that's where it went. And then, and then uh, somebody that I know saw my press and said, That's your orange, pre- orange 9x12 CMP, right? And I said, Yeah. He goes, My girlfriend was a print major at Tulane. And when they were changing the buildings or something happened, where, you know, you could imagine sometime in the 90s or the 70s, 80s, 90s, where there's a press in the room and no one really knows who know it is because the yeah. provenance of it wasn't established as, the, as this. So they they when they were moving buildings or something, and she was like one of the students in the department that was really into letterpress, they, they let her have it. And she took the press from Tulane. And it's the press that I have now. Wow. But I don't know. Well, so, I, so, I need to do a little more research. But, but how so – it it's out, the okay. same press. We you, know it you, know you, is.
2: When you, when you do, let's say – I don't know what the press run on this was. Maybe a couple thousand, two or three thousand. Five
1: hundred, do a thousand. No, no, more than that. Uh, maybe this one. The magazine, yeah. Okay, The Outsider did. Yeah, yeah the magazine thousand, was about two or three thousand. thousand. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, he did it all by hand. Yeah, no, that's 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 incredible. Well, yeah. I mean – I wouldn't do three thousand books for – by hand, unless it was paid Well, if You, ha- look at the,
0: you need to look at the inscription on the front of Crucifix and a Death Hand. It says something some about the press itself. Um, I'm pretty sure it says 9 by 12 cmp I think it does. Yeah, yeah, but I'm trying to remember. It says something. Well, you know, I yeah. mean, how many of those are written all Maybe I mean, that's what I'm saying. You know, it
1: did yeah. what? Yeah, as far and, as I and know, they
0: ended up at Tulane, and then this one you got is from Tulane. I mean, not I even Loyola doesn't have chance. one. As yeah. far as
1: I know, I'm the only one who has a nine by twelve CMP. Well,
2: time. maybe you should start a
1: little magazine. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Charles Bukowski. Yeah. Now we're going to hit. I'm going to just going to go right for the jugular on this. Mm. Do you think that he really signed the concrete outside of our bar? Uh what do you think?
2: I think you know what. It, his whereabouts are so... There's so much mystery about something. But you yeah. know what? I don't think it was. I, I really don't think... I think it was maybe it got him hanged.
0: I mean, a, I just wonder where the story started. Because it could yeah. be real easy. Well, to, you know. is
2: there any evidence that he was here in 1955? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I think he was back in Los Angeles, you know, slaving away at the post office, drinking too much, getting into fights, all of that. I don't think he was here. I have to... Well, but remember. there's that... Maybe maybe put the kibosh on that. Just yeah. just if you just kinda of think about it, uh, I don't think he was here in fifty five. He was here in forty two, yeah. In forty three, but and he was back again in the in uh sixty three or sixty four to be yeah, with his publishers, but yeah. I don't think he was here in fifty five. I don't think he traveled that much. You know, I mean I think he was LA. Based, after his big wandering around in the early 40s.
0: But I think like when he was trying to work out that draft evasion stuff, there's a little confusion about where he was when. But that still wouldn't be the right time. No. 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 I I (laughs) think maybe Hank was Hank. Yeah. But it's a good story. I wonder how that story got started, though. I, I would like to know. Who, uh, People who like who connected that. did
2: that.
1: I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to go over to our bar. We're going to gonna, gonna, well, gonna talk, gonna talk this to some of the bartenders. It, it, over it
2: works in one level because kind of a metaphysical level because I think there was a bar there since the beginning of time, right? And it would have been, back then, Maroney was not uh, yapified or anything, right? Yeah, it was yeah. working class. It
0: seems like somewhere he could have been drinking, I guess. That would have been, been a perfect area, yeah. place for him to be thrown out of. Now, the story, gets,
2: you know, the story goes that he also gets thrown out of there. I never heard that. Oh yes, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. No, it's it's for real. It why. gets thrown out of the bar and puts it. In. And that's when he. And that's when he. Uh, yeah. Puts in the kind. Of, or, oh, that's too. That's too perfect. I don't that know where I heard really that. Because <laughs> well, I guess I guess got thrown out of a lot of bars.
2: You know, <laughs> they just it's, I, they're
0: interchangeable. That seems like a strange reaction, though, to get get thrown out of a bar and inscribe your name in the wet concrete. <laughs> I don't
2: know, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of like maybe, it's kind of like, it's not a hoax, but I mean, there's it's like Oakham's Razor. There was a Hank here in 1955 when they laid there, on the sidewalk.
0: There was probably a lot
2: of Hanks. <laughs> yeah.
0: No what do reason you think? It has to be Lukowski.
1: I, I It's hard. I mean, I don't want to say anything or whatever. I like the nice. idea that he was here.
2: and sure. left his, I like that idea. Let's leave it go. What do you say? Yeah. So,
0: Bukowski, yeah, so, so hes all a legend anyway. He's legends, all, yeah. He's right.
2: all—he's all
1: a uh, totally built-up up built character, song myself,
0: myself, you know. <laughs> so,
2: so, Bukowski's
0: our bard, barfly, total barfly, total barfly, great bard, Fabulous bard. Another, uh, another newspaper connection, right? Because he worked at the the New Orleans Item, Yeah. know. And uh, when was that? When was he at the Item? Well, I don't have a date on it, but 42. it was, like, early
2: on when we first came Early, too. Yeah. Okay, okay. He, you know, he, he he, gets out of high school. He does all these odd jobs out there in L.A., right? And then, right around the beginning of the war, so if you figure December 7th, 1941. So, 42 is the early days of the war. Suddenly, he takes off. And what is he? why is he going on this great... Well, it's his big adventure, you know? I mean, when you think about it, I mean, he's a very... For such a colorful... Outrageous character, he's kind of a stay at home. Yeah. Uh, and most of his life is, you know, in, in that little kind of closed world, LA, and little trips here and there. He never got on an airplane until 1970 In oh, wow. his life, you know? <laughs> and he never went out of the country until he goes to Canada sometime in like the 80s huh. or the late 70s to do a poetry reading. He'd never been out of the United States. Wow, you know, so it's kind of monkish in a way, and he's always retreating to his room, you know yeah, yeah, all, yeah. Of, all of his, all of his uh, poems are about his, his miserable little room that he's in all the time, you know, where he's drinking and writing and you know, occasionally fucking and you know and getting into fights and all of that. So it's a kind of a cloistered life when you think about it, And, he, and the other thing too, is that he doesn't seem to really have not gotten along with people. No. no, it doesn't seem like that. <laughs> no, at all. no, 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 that's really the understatement. Uh, I'm sorry yeah. you didn't raise that, but I, you
0: have to make an understatement about it. I mean, I think people have this image of him as being kind of belligerent or something, but I kind of more have the image of him not really talking to people most of the time, even right. when he's out in the world. He seems kind of antisocial in that way that he'd rather be in his... You know. But you know what are
2: wonderful <laughs> are his letters. Yeah. His letters are so entertaining, and they're so much fun to read. And they're, they're, unlike his poetry, I mean, his letters are very concrete and they're, they're all filled with details, but done in a kind of playful way. Uh, even when he's really, I mean, but, you know, sometimes, you know, he's really at the edge of despair. I mean, he's, he's hemorrhaging and he's broke and he's, uh, you know, he's got all kinds of, you know, physical things wrong with him. And he's, you know, everything in his life is going sour. But the, but the letters seem to have, always be sort of have an optimistic kind of, tone to them and they're chatty and they're friendly and they're and maybe he could talk to people at a distance yeah,
0: some, through yeah. letters you know yeah and some of his poems have some elements of that in it uh-huh. I, I think he can yeah. be very funny yeah yeah he, you know even when he's even when he's most
2: melodramatic and most and most tragic he's funny sometimes
0: you know? i just right. always felt I, with Bukowski, that he wrote too many poems too many? Huh. yeah. He <laughs> wrote too many poems.
2: You know, you know what? You know what's really interesting about him was he, he never kept track of them. Yeah. And when he when he talks to Webb in New Orleans, he, he says, "Well, what about that last poem?" That you, you know, and he he sends out all these poems, these little magazines, and he doesn't make carbon copies of them. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't know what he's written. You know, they get lost and. You know these magazines that you know all around the country. And they, so he's stuff. like typing out. Yeah. All who these knows questions. how much books he's mailing really, away? Mails it away. doesn't make a the copy. There are no Xerox, Xerox, Xerox machines. Uh, doesn't, doesn't even remember the titles. Doesn't remember them. Doesn't remember <laughs> who he sent <laughs> Those, them to. Yeah. Yeah. So there are. There must be more a, out
0: there. Someone's gonna. Yeah. It's like they, create a collection of this. <clears> yeah. I mean the the, the, man. the body of work is gigantic. You
2: know, even we're
0: we're maybe looking at just a little piece
2: of it. You know?
0: But I mean I guess I just feel like his poetry is so hit or miss in that way and that's part of why. Like some of it's great and then some of it's like, oh man, <laughs> I didn't try very hard on that one. And I think he just did, you know, but it it seems like he was just like, oh, I'm just write another one, write another one.
2: <laughs> like some other people we know. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, you know, he needed a guy like Webb in New Orleans oh, yeah. to curate, so, and we were talking about that. Uh, so let's
1: talk about that. Let's get into how, how that interaction right, happened. Okay. How, did, how did that interaction come Well,
2: we, we were kind of talking before about, you know, not getting discovered in this city, but here's a guy who, who could only be discovered here because he had a great publisher. Yeah. And that was uh, uh, Lou John Press, John and Gypsy Lou Webb, who were... Pretty amazing when you think about it, you know, what they what they accomplished with their just obsession to publish and to and to find these writers. They found they pretty much found him. He had stopped writing for about 10 years, and I guess just devoted himself to drinking. He started out as a short story writer. Yeah. Uh when he was here in New Orleans in the 40s, he was writing almost like he writes today, writing prose, writing these short stories, and sending them off to the Atlantic Monthly and Harper's and the New Yorker, and <laughs> places like that. Wow, guess that's, a str- that's, well, some, that's some
0: strange places. I know. Thinking so of pros you know, I mean, and...
2: that was got to be discouraging. <laughs> and I'm sure he just got rejected, hand over fist, because we don't find anything being published there. But absolutely, the, the uh, I guess that's the dead end uh, for for his talent. And it takes a crazy, obsessed publisher of underground or outsider outsider material that he finds a place to, to, to,
0: to get. So him. how did that come about? So in that 1962 outsider number three, well, he, had, he how did they, how did, how did John Webb and, and well, come what just did, decide kind of, to feature him in this? In, in a broad
2: sense. I mean, they put out a big um, uh, broadcast to all the little magazines and all the poets. They put an ad in the village voice inviting submissions And I'm sure they got a ton of work in, but they, from the very beginning, they were publishing named authors, you know, Mm -hmm. Jean Genet and people like that, you know, that you know, really, typically they just would submit work to him. Bukowski, I think, was in the very first issue. I'm not sure about that. We we probably need to check that. He was in the second issue for sure. And it set up a correspondence between John Webb here in New Orleans and Bukowski out in L.A. Mm -hmm. And then recognizing, you know, this, they had lots of things in common, you know, they were both living on the edge. John Webb, uh, had been a convict, you know, he, he was convicted for armed robbery in the Cleveland. The jewelry, the jewelry, yeah. the heist. Thing. Right. In Cleveland. And uh, he did the thing
1: where he, he like, on his lunch break, he robbed the jewelry store. Yeah. He yeah. climbed back in the window. Right. And he was a reporter. Right. And, and, <laughs> and, and he's like, <laughs> he like climbed out the window, robbed the, robbed the jewelry store, climbed back in the window. <laughs> And then they were like, a jewelry store's been robbed. And then he's like, let's go well, to the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: it's, like, it's like the arsonist. set
0: the fire, you know? it's like fire.
2: But he got caught. Yeah, he got caught. And he spends, uh, oh, about a year and a half, two years at Mansfield's uh, Ohio State Prison. Still there. Still there. That's uh, a real landmark, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Uh, and then he gets out uh, and, you know, becomes a writer. He writes a novel about his prison experience. It starts writing detective fiction, true, you know, true true detective stories. They wind up coming to New Orleans in the 40s as well, and they support themselves. So she becomes a, his wife, Gypsy Lou. Uh, Did they meet in Cleveland? They met in Cleveland. Okay. They were next-door neighbors. Okay. He had been married once. He had a son, and she was this beautiful Italian girl who lived next door to them in Cleveland. She was young. She was about 10 years. She was like 18. He was in his 20s. He's out of prison. He sees this gorgeous Italian gal, he falls in love with her, uh, and uh, it's a real love match. And he dumps his first wife, and they take off together, and they come to New Orleans. It was one of these things; they just wanted to get away. They they were made for each other, they were lifelong. I mean, really, really amazing marriage that they had. They never had a nickel, they never had a dime. I mean, they they move from here place to place whenever they felt the urge to move. They, that little apart, Those little apartments around the French Quarter where they lived, they had that giant press in there and all their papers stacked up. <laughs> they doing 3,000 uh, copies of that thing. Can you imagine the amount of paper? It that takes up some space. Uh, the paper would be in the bathtub. They couldn't even take a bath. Even when Bukowski came to see them, there was so much paper and so much printing junk all over the place that he had to stay, stay with somewhere the else. Head. Yeah, friends' yeah. places. But they're obsessed with making beautiful books, and, and they uh, are and actually, beautiful
1: books. Oh yeah. man, you know, really? Yeah, there, there's when you look at those books and you inspect them. There is, you know, there are so many different colors of ink. There is, they use different types of paper. They use tipped-in photos. Glue. Uh, they use offset printing. They use letterpress printing. They use mimeograph. They use
2: look, look how the look very how, elaborate. Look how this is a uh, held up. I mean, this is a. Sixty-year-old yeah, book, old, old and the binding is still, yeah. unbelievable.
0: I don't know how how well-thumbed and used it's been. I mean, it's in really, really well. And good it's, shape. it's particularly an odd thing at a time when I think most other people doing magazines were trying to do more just mimeos that you could do really quickly, not worried about qual- quality. Where this was the total opposite of that. Make it into this art book kind sure. of magazine. Well, you have to
2: think he's probably a little OCD. You know, <laughs> like even the title of his novel about the. Uh, about his prison life it was called, I think it was called Four Steps to the Wall." And you know, is when you when you're confined in a little cell, you know, you walk back and forth, yeah, and they yeah. count the steps, and everything. <laughs> you got to imagine sort of an OCD sort of thing about him, you know. But so, where were we about about him and um, so? The we're casting, saying how they how
0: made? how yeah how they decide? Because I think isn't that kind of I mean I know he comes back later to. To kind of work on the book they're going to publish, but isn't that kind of the big thing? Them featuring him as Outsider of oh, the Year, man. yeah, Outsider of the Year.
2: This is the Bukowski to him. This is the greatest thing that ever happened to him. I
0: mean, that's a pretty cool title to get yeah. into. Because <laughs> by the by the third issue, she breaches issue three,
2: the magazine, the Outsider, had become like the gold standard for small magazines, you know, uh, small literary magazines, and it's all because of his not only the production, but the quality of the of the writers and the quality of the work that is in it. So he's really in great company with the writer. you know, even in that that issue there, William Burroughs is in it with a little piece. And there's a book review on there. Uh, I love this. There's a little book review. Naked Lunch by William Burroughs. <laughs> Someone is reviewing this brand new book that's just kind of called Naked Lunch. You know? Uh, and it's,
1: it's still sort of under it's underground. But the other thing was the um the Dirty Old Man column. It's another yeah. connection to New Orleans, well, Bukowski. This is another is thing. the Nola Express, uh, which is taken after the Burroughs book Nova Express, the name, and the City Council of L.A. banned Bukowski's column for obscenity laws, and then they brought it to
2: New Orleans, <laughs> and then. Now we're getting into the to, to the to the late and middle sixties, right? And you can see the difference in between a, a, a publication like The Outsiders, and then you see things like Noel Express and all these yeah. things. The, all of a sudden, these little mimeo yeah. and, and uh, cheap sheets, are all political. Is the free press movement? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're all political. They're all anti-war, but they're all anti-everything. You know, and the only the most entertaining things in that. In those magazines or those is the, is the It's Bukowski, Bukowski. <laughs> and it's all about you know getting laid, getting drunk, getting into fights and stuff. Yeah. I mean that's right. what it's and it's real life, you know. It's well, just, they it's, again not. That's not the only yeah. thing that's worth reading <laughs> yeah. in any of them today.
1: Apparently, the Nola Expresses are like, a, they only had a syndication of like five hundred or thousand, and then when and then when Bukowski's controversial uh, column came into them, and then the city council in New Orleans got all fussy about it. The uh, public syndication went from, like, 1,000 to, like, 10,000 overnight. Like, it was one of those things that right. it made their magazine.
2: Well, I remember it. I was here then in the 60s, in the middle of the 60s. I do remember Noel Express because this was the tail end of Bohemia in New Orleans. And a lot of the residue was still here. You know, guys like Rockmore and a lot of the hangouts, the bars. We are talking about barflies, The so Seven Seas and La Casa's and all these places that were still here. And it still really had that seedy, you know, outcoast, uh, you know, seacoast of Bohemia kind of atmosphere to it. Jack's Brewery was still there. And it was just the odor of hops <laughs> everywhere over the French Quarter. And then the river was uh, all the wharfs along there. It's now the moonwalk. Those are oh, yeah. all active wharves. And you had people, you had guys coming off ships going into, you know, it was a wild, Decay Street it was nothing but seamen's bars. Yeah. Really, some. I I think Bukowski liked what was the name of that bar? I can't remember. Uh, It was right on Decay Street, sort of really, really low down and dirty. I remember these places like it was yesterday, but I do remember kids selling NOLA Express, looking at it, looking at Bukowski's column, and they always had these little hand drawn things on it. And there were always stories about, you know, his, like I said, getting getting drunk, getting laid. Getting thrown out of bars, yeah. all of his, his really kind of, you know, uh, low-life. It was all about low-life. And that was the most interesting thing about it, because the rest of it was just really, you know, conspiracy theories about the political world. <laughs> yeah, Not just sure. the national scene, the Ooh. local scene. Everybody was for fair game, and it was all kind of dredged up stuff that really had no relevance to anybody's life.
0: But they're unreadable.
2: Yeah okay, they are totally unreadable. All right, so back to back, all right John and Bukowski.
0: And Bukowski yeah. All right,
2: all right. So John Webb, you know, puts out the puts out the blast. He was a really good marketer, and he wrote letters to all the little magazines, and he put ads in the Village Voice. I mean, it cost him a lot of money to do this. You know, he just put every nickel that he had. He had no money at all, uh, and to collect writers, and one of them was Bukowski, and. They start, you know, with one or two poems in the first two issues and then, you know, recognize the talent. They start this correspondence. They're both horse players. They write letters to each other about, um, you know, horse racing systems and all this kind of stuff. So they, they had a lot of coming. As I said, John was a bit of an outsider, having been an ex-con uh, and living on the edge. And, you know, so they sort of hit it off. And then there was no question. He decided they were, were going to... You know, the magazine by the third issue had become a pretty well-known little magazine publishing really cutting-edge. I hate to use that word, but, you know, the best writers of that next generation. And he invited uh, Bukowski to become the outside of the year. And Bukowski was thrilled. I mean, this was... I think he knew that even this little tiny magazine, because he, he'd been publishing in all these little... Like you say, these little mimeo sheets. And here's this really, really... Up-and-coming magazine. Yeah. It could have been like the Partisan Review one day, or something like that. It could have been a really serious thing uh, if the Webs had let given up a little bit, given of a little control of other people. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's it's typical labors of love are are you know a lot of times don't go anywhere. So anyway, but he was absolutely thrilled to be honored that way. He thought it was like getting the Nobel Prize, really. It really sort of made him too. And they got all of these tributes from other little press publishers, and they're fun to read too. What should everybody thought of Bukowski. Uh,
0: should we read one of the Bukowski poems from that issue? Yeah. I like from this, the issue? The House. The House. I like that one.
3: The House. They are building a house half a block down, and I sit up here with the shades down, listening to the sounds, the hammers pounding in nails. Thack, 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 thack. And then I hear birds, and thack, 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 and I go to bed. I pull the covers to my throat. They have been building this house for a month, and soon it will have its people. Sleeping, eating, loving, moving around. But somehow, now, it is not right. There seems a madness. Men walk on its top with nails in their mouths, and I read about Castro in Cuba. And at night I walk by, and the ribs of the house show. And inside I can see cats walking the way cats walk, and then a boy rides by on a bicycle, and still the house is not done, and in the morning the men will be back, walking around the house, with their hammers, and it seems people should not build houses anymore, it seems people should not get married anymore, it seems people should stop working and sit in small rooms, on second floors, under electric lights without shades, it seems there is a lot to forget, and a lot not to do, And in drugstores, markets, bars, the people are tired, they do not want to move, and I stand there at night, and look through this house, and the house does not want to be built. Through its sides I can see purple hills, and the first lights of evening, and it is cold, and I button my coat, and I stand there looking through the house, and the cats stop and look at me until I am embarrassed, and move north up the sidewalk, where I will buy cigarettes and beer, and return to my room.
2: Back to the room, there it goes, you know. I think it's oh, that good. was great. Yeah, it was a good poem.
3: It was a great poem.
1: It's very yeah. matter of fact. It's very you know. Yeah, really. The thing yeah. about Bukowski yeah. is just I, I just will buy cigarettes and beer. In <laughs> What's that?
3: I said I will buy cigarettes and beer in return, <laughs> I said, I and beer in return. <laughs> to Come my room. room. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I can, oh man, that, that is, is
2: that's his life. You know, yeah, that's a lot yeah. of people. I lives. mean, really, really <laughs> lousy relationships with women. Really pathetic work history You know I mean He's got a job With the post office And most people Oh god Uh, Yeah I read Post
1: Uh, Factotum Yeah Yeah, And it's just The whole book is The whole book is just like I got a job at the supermarket (laughs) I'm bagging groceries They fired me Because I stole a bottle of whiskey (laughs) The next day I get a job I mean it's the whole (laughs) thing It's just a whole book About all these different (laughs) jobs
2: Most people he, will go to work job for, for, job <laughs> after job after job after job Most people will go to work for the post office. Their life is right. They go it's job security, right? <laughs> and he's going up. He goes up the ranks, you know, becomes like a postman senior class, you know, and all of a sudden he quits. And then he goes back to the post office like four <laughs> months later. Somehow or other the federal government takes him back. And he's and he's in and out of the post office, quitting, getting fired, you know, for years and years and years. I mean it's ridiculous. Poor man. A sweet man. You know, yeah. when you think
0: about it. Well, I, I, I like that poem too. I think I mean, he, he personifying the unbuilt house is wonderful. <laughs> and I mean, you can just see this like frame sitting there. Cats uh, walking through and thinking it doesn't want to be built. But it's such a <laughs> what about the list of everybody not doing anything anymore, not getting
2: married? Not, <laughs> what, living like Bukowski? Yeah. Is that what much. we want? <laughs> <laughs> Back to the room, the beer and the cigarettes? Is that what we want to is that
0: what we want the rest of the world to do?
2: I'm just kidding.
0: And so I guess that kinda led though, this outsider issue kinda led to them wanting to publish a collection of, yeah. of Bukowski's. Right.
2: That's his real first book. His real first book. And of course they they just I just lavish love and attention on it. I wish I had a copy of it. I'd love to see what it looks like.
0: I've seen seen it. I've uh, no, they're expensive. It's, it's two thousand bucks. It's got a Null Rockmore illustration for the cover. It's it's black the cover's black and white and it's got like I wrote some things, things that I couldn't remember. It's got deco Edge orange, blue, yellow, and ivory. <laughs> Which book is this? In the first crucifix one. Crucifix in a death They have Oh, no, no, no.
2: The first one was uh, uh, It Catches My
0: Heart. Uh, I'm, th- I'm talking uh, about the second John one. one. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. Um, she, they did two for him.
0: They did two. Okay. I think I didn't know that. I thought they only had done no, the the one. The first
2: one was It Catches My Heart. Uh, what
0: no, say? I've never seen that one.
2: Whew. That's got the, it's got a picture of him with uh, with Gypsy Lou on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, on the cover and it's, it is it is sort of red too it's it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like a uh kind of a, a model effect
1: and it catches my
2: heart in its hands
1: it, okay. c- it catches my heart in its when hands was that one? In its this is Where in was
0: 1963 was one? oh okay so it was it was, wow. next year wow and the, so it was 62 is the issue then 63 that one then 64 64 was wow. the Whew. second <laughs> part that's fast now
2: the really interesting <laughs> thing is what they sold for you know, cuz that first one today if you go on uh any rare book dealer is about two grand. Uh it sold for two dollars pre publication. Of course a lot of uh, stuff's
0: like that though. It's crazy when you buy those first right. and you like see He's, the uh, list price and yeah, now wow. they're there, like thousands of and
2: dollars. uh they didn't pay Bukowski for all of his work. They gave him I think fifty copies to sell. And so he, he did.
0: I like I like and I like the stories of when he came here to work on came back to New Orleans to work on poems. Of like we were saying, how particular John Webb was that John Webb was just kind of sitting in the in the living room with his poems and telling him "Nope, nope, uh kind of deciding which ones went into the collections like this the one's best.
2: Good. yeah, you know I mean it would be great to have a facsimile copy of that of those both both those books to see what to see what he yeah. chose i mean if if, if bukowski's you know, if those were the the real gems of what he was writing, yeah. Days,
0: you know, well, it seems yeah they seem more selective than other Kowski collections. There. There's
1: a funny note here in the in the uh, in the uh, in Luj- the
0: Bohemian New Orleans book about the web. Yeah, we should mention that. that says, if uh, you want to read about John Webb and Gypsy Lou, that that's kind of the definitive book, right? Bohemian New Orleans: The Story of Outsiders and Lou John Press by Jeff Weddle. Yeah, it's just
1: talking about like they. It, there was an alternate title for it "Catches My Heart in His Hands," and it was just simply "The Portable Bukowski." <laughs> Play, sort of playing a joke on his reputation and uh, liking these like portable Faulkner and
0: portable Hemingway. It's like on well, the story. I remember the story, but I think I remember it was in there. I remember reading it from there too, where uh, you know Bukowski doesn't want to sit there while he's going through all his poems. So him and Gypsy were drinking in the kitchen and she ends up in the hospital maybe because she drank too much beer, trying to, because she she kept up with Bukowski the whole time. She drank as much as he did um, and ended up having to go to the hospital.
2: Well, you know, the other, there's another sad story about that visit, too, because he finally gets a chance to meet this fellow John Corrington who's an academic sort of poet. You know, he's got a PhD from LSU and Uh, you know kind of a mainstream you know serious intellectual sort of poet in those days and they've had this wonderful correspondence over all the years their friend Carrington is friends with with uh, Lou and uh, I'm sorry with John and Gypsy Gypsy Lou and they invite him down to that same kitchen for drinks and he's just come back from England where he's earned his PhD in literature right and they just don't hit it off. They're great friends in, in, in yes, letters. But not in but real no, life. Now. And Bukowski is just, all of a sudden, he just, you know, just clams up and has nothing to say. And it's just a dreadful evening. You can just, you can just see it. You, just see, you know, he never got, he barely got out of high school, you know. Yeah. And he's a day laborer most of his life, you know. You think about it. And, but, you know, he doesn't have any attitude about it. He doesn't seem to have any kind of political um uh, um you know any kind of left wing attitude about being working class yeah yeah you know, he's just he's just yeah. what he is, and that's really kind of refreshing about a guy like that he doesn't yeah. he doesn't become jack london or or uh, John Garfield yeah. or anybody like that he doesn't have that kind of doesn't carry any attitude about it you know he's just hes just is he's just love life yeah he really is just love life you know.
0: Yeah, well,
2: <laughs> <laughs> And uh, that's refreshing. I mean, there's no,
0: no bones about it. So this, oh, I guess I wrote this down. This, I think this is from Factotum. But this is what he said about New Orleans. I remembered my New Orleans days living on two five-cent candy bars a day for weeks at a time in order to have leisure to write. But starvation, unfortunately, didn't improve art. It only hindered it. A man's soul was rooted in his stomach. The man could write much better after eating a porterhouse steak and drinking a pint of whiskey than he could ever write after eating a nickel candy bar. The myth of a starving artist was a hoax. <laughs> it's true. I wonder if he went to the fairgrounds. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he did. I mean, if he, he's getting he forty two cents yeah. an hour, do you think he had any money to? Spend? I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know what he how he was placing bets, but uh, yeah, he 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 liked going to the fairgrounds. Yeah, uh, he uh. talks about it. And, yeah, uh. but. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what
2: how he was getting. the Well, money. you know, he, uh, he comes to town and he's just like Tennessee Williams. He's a virgin. He's he's still twenty six years old. And uh, I used to think he lost his virginity here in New Orleans because the story appears
0: in. He says that right? about the three hundred pounds. The three hundred pound whore, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: that break the bed and everything. But but actually, it was in Philadelphia. So it was even after he scammed out of New Orleans. Wow, this is forty three. So he would be like twenty six, twenty seven years old, and for such a hell raiser, yeah, you know, yeah, it takes him a long time to finally, you know, well, yeah, take yeah. somebody to bed. So a lot of bluster, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, look, he's, Tra- he's got this terrible acne scars all over his face. He's an alcoholic. He's working for forty-two. I mean, that is not a prize catch for, no. for even the women, even the barflies that he meets. You know, I mean, he's just, yeah, yeah. He's just a mess. You know, <laughs> God bless him. You know, <laughs> should we read uh, as a kicker? Should we read Young in New Orleans? Yeah, let's see. Do he young remembers New that period. Want me to do it? I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it my best. Whiskey, <laughs> cigarette, voice Actually, it was written in the '70s, wasn't it? And he's thinking. Yeah, I think about, this is looking yeah, back. Looking. He's back. looking yeah, back, yeah. so he's he's thinking back when he's 26, and you know, this is his first stop on his on his uh, first getaway. Young New Orleans, starving there, sitting around the bars at night, walking the streets for hours. The moonlight always seemed fake to me. Maybe it was. And in the French Quarter, I watched the horses and buggies going by, everybody sitting high, in the open carriages, black driver, and in the back, the man and the woman, usually young and always white. I was always white and hardly charmed by the world. New Orleans was a place to hide. I could piss away my life unmolested, except for the rats. The rats in my dark, small room. Very much resented sharing it with me. They were large and fearless, and stared at me with eyes that spoke unblinking death. Women were beyond me. They saw something depraved. There was one waitress, a little older than I. She rather smiled, lingered when she brought my coffee. That was plenty for me. That was enough. There was something about that city, though. It didn't let me feel guilty. That I had no feeling for the things so many others needed. Let me alone. Sitting up in my bed, the lights out, hearing the outside sounds, lifting my cheap bottle of wine, letting the warmth of the grape enter me as I heard the rats moving around the room. I preferred them to humans. Being lost, being crazy, maybe is not so bad if you can do it. If you can be that way undisturbed. New Orleans gave me that. Nobody ever called my name. No telephone, no car, no job, no anything. Me and the rats and my youth. One time, that time, I knew even through through the meaning, the nothingness, it was a celebration of something not to do, but only know. That's a hell of a poem. It is. Down in New Orleans. It's like there's a power from being able to
1: maybe like recollect it from distance, you know, I don't, I don't know if he could have, he wouldn't have written He, he, he couldn't he, he that poem when he was 28. No, no, probably. No, no, yeah.
2: no, 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 And you think about it, he, here he is. I mean, he's all alone, you know, in that room, rooming, cheap rooming houses. You can imagine where it, it seems to fit down there in that neighborhood yeah. down there, you know? Boarding houses, rooming houses. Poor man. You know, he made a great life for himself, ultimately. You know? He really did. You know? It's, with all the turmoil and everything, he must have been in a lot of pain as well. I mean, it's not, Yeah. It's not enjoyable. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, even though he revels in the rats in the room and the cheap wine <laughs> and everything. It's not, you know, what can you say? Well, he's writing the, he's writing the real human
1: experience. Uh-huh. He's not glamorizing it. No. Although people
2: who read Bukowski now kind of do glamorize it.
1: Well, yeah, because yeah. you got
2: a whole culture of Marony and Bywater where they, where they even want to be Bukowski. They want to, you know, smell bad. <laughs>
0: they want to you know him. what I
2: mean? And, and live in the streets. You yeah.
0: know well, I mean? we
1: could have a whole different episode about gutter punks. and. Their, well, isn't that sort yeah, of the Bukowski, Bukowski, Bukowski way
2: of life? Yeah. In a way?
1: Uh, I mean...
2: He's smart. They're not. Yeah, well... That, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but he, he's actually doing something... And he's an artist. He's a published
0: writer, you know? Yeah.
1: You know,
2: so... Thing.
0: Well... Arthur, thank you for joining Thanks, us today. Yeah, it's been
1: a great episode. And I think this episode is going to spawn more episodes. Tell yeah. us a little bit about your tour before we... Well, before that's, we go that's
2: the whole thing. I mean, you can't go anywhere around the French court and not run into these people. The, the haunts of the ghosts of these people, you know, they're everywhere. And, uh, and, of course, the city has changed so much. It doesn't have that anymore. New Orleans, to me, is gone. You know, it's just not what it used to be. And I don't think... I can't see a writer. I can't see any of these characters coming here today and having the same kinds of experiences. You know, I just don't see it. It's just not the way. It's, the city does not have the richness that it used to have. And for all of them, when you think, let's go back. I mean, just we'll start with the, you know, the our first writer tonight. You 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 can't imagine what Whitman saw. here. the color. You know, the the just the you know, the smells, the sights, the sounds, everything. You can't imagine anything like that and how how that would affect you, you know. And he was sensitive enough to see that. And all of them, every one of these writers tonight, um, you know, felt that. They felt what, I guess what I felt when I was young here. You know, when I first came here. I came here at 18 years old. And I was on my own. And I certainly, when I first came down here, I always wanted to come here. I mean, it, I was, this is where I wanted to come. Uh, I could have gone to school anywhere. I could have gone to Cornell. I could have gone to a bunch of places, but I chose Tulane. And uh, it was my, I felt at home here. You know, I felt this was a very, you know, it was a very special place. And uh, so I wound up staying here. I can't leave now. <laughs> I mean I got my my tour
1: you know I got a, but so like, people yeah so people want to if people want to, uh, people want to uh, tell us just if people want
2: to uh, oh yeah there's so many there's so many I mean on the tour we, we don't just do Bukowski and we do uh, Oscar Wilde sure we do uh, Mark Twain Harriet Beecher Stowe uh, I want to get into the Senel, you know the, uh, the Creole writers the yeah, French yeah. Creole writers I want to sort of see where they hung out but everywhere you look you know there is a story, and you know it's just it's just they're just there's so many literary ghosts around here. Yeah. So if somebody wants so if
1: somebody wants to know more about the tour, where do you well, go? Well, you, you go us. on my
2: website. My website is called Ask Arthur Tours, and the name of my company is Ask
0: Arthur Walking. Tours. And we will put the link in the show notes. Will as you well. do that? Absolutely.
2: Yes. Uh, we do all kinds of great tours. We do the cemeteries. We do the French Quarter. We do Maroney. Uh, Creole neighborhoods, all of that. And, you know, we do custom tours if you're interested in a particular topic.
0: But we're, by this being the No Good Poetry podcast, we're going to urge everyone to go on your literary tour. literary tour.
2: Well, Joseph and Joseph, you are <laughs> just the best. You are fabulous guys.
1: And we you? thank our studio audience for being here today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bravo! <laughs> all right. So this has been the No Good Poetry Podcast and please write us a review. Go on iTunes, go on Google Play, uh, iTunes specifically and write us a review. Yeah, we don't have any new
0: ones to thank this week because y'all haven't been doing it. So please, we want want to get some new people listening to the podcast you need to give us some iTunes reviews.
2: All right. Oh, that was fun.